Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn, joined as always by a man whose team did not have their title stripped this week, although <laughs> I would have rather had that happen to them than the kids who it did happen to, Dan Baker. DB, still basking in that Super Bowl glow, or are you on to better things? Oh, it's never going to go away, Dave. It's never going away. <laughs> well, not unlike herpes, I'm sure that's true. Uh, Coach, how are you doing, sir? Well, Big weekend at the intersection of sports and politics. You my got man. it, man. You got it. You know, I, I was going to have my good buddy Charles Barkley on, but I told him that uh, I was with you and Mark. You guys are big analytics guys. And he said, no way am I coming on that show. So Ah, yeah. Charles Barkley totally <laughs> raising the level of the discourse by saying so that good. people who like analytics are people who could not get dates in high school. <laughs> How old is he, Mark? In his 50s? Still making you couldn't get a date to prom? Charles gets lots of dates with high schoolers. Lots. Yes. Oh, whoa, yeah, that's whoa, true. whoa, whoa, whoa. That's actually a very good point. The reason why Charles can make that joke is that he still does very well they at keep, the high school they keep level. They the same age. Yeah, oh, God. Uh, watch out, guys. Watch yeah, he's out. making a, a very good uh, reference to Days and Confused. <laughs> And, and our good friend, friend of the show, Matthew McConaughey, friend of the show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's got any week now, he's coming on, right? I don't want him on. Just, I don't want to cheapen the friendship. We got a hell of a show this week. We're going to talk to Parker Malloy, terrific sports writer. Very excited to speak to her. We're going to talk about Bruce Jenner. Uh, but the, the issues that we're going to talk about before we come on with Parker really showcase what a cataclysmic week this has been at the intersection of sports and politics. Uh, first, when we get back, we are going to talk about Jackie Robinson West, uh, the U.S. Little League team that had its title stripped away from it by Little League Inc. We're going to talk to Coach about what he thinks about that. I have very strong feelings about this, and I, I think it's an absolute abomination, and it's contemptible. Uh, mm. And the second thing that we're going to talk about is the the deaths of Dean Smith and Jerry Tarkanian, mm-hmm. who are often looked at as if they're like the angel and the devil on the shoulders <laughs> of, of amateur athletics and college basketball. But they actually have, I would argue, far more in common in terms of their goals than people would ever want mm-hmm. to admit, particularly the folks who beatify Dean Smith. Mm-hmm. But hey, let's go to break right now. We'll be back right after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio talking to the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? Mommy. And me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? Also my man. I am <laughs> enraged by the stripping of the Little League U.S. title from Jackie Robinson West. The first all-black team to ever win the Little League championship. The title taken away from them by the powers that be in Little League Inc. make me sick. First of all, for people who don't know the story, let's be clear. The title was not taken away because they were suiting up 16 or 17-year-olds. The title was not taken away because they were corking bats. The title was not taken away because they were juicing or deflating balls. The title was taken away because they, quote, signed a player to play outside the designated region. That's the official thing. They had a player on the team who was outside the designated region that was determined where Jackie Robinson West could pull players. One? Look. look. It was one player? Uh, That's actually something we're still figuring out. Okay. Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? People are trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. But putting that aside... It One way you could defend this is you could do the whole, well, everybody does that in Little League. It's ridiculous. I mean, if the residency stuff. But I'm not going there. This is where I'm going on this. Baseball in urban America is being privatized to death. If not, it's dead already. That's what made Jackie Robinson West so inspiring to people. Because baseball programs in the hood, in city after city after city, for all intents and purposes, don't exist. And there's a reason for that. Baseball diamonds, the actual infrastructure, boys and girls clubs, the stuff that's needed to field a little league in the cities, that is the urban gold rush. The 21st century gold rush is real estate. People want land in the cities. Baseball diamonds are bistros right now. And people who have lived in the cities for decades and decades are being pushed to the margins. That's why poverty in the suburbs is spiking. And that's why people can't afford to live in the city anymore. You see it right here in Washington, Mm D.C., where we live right here, where Wilson High School has won the city baseball championship. Something like 21 out of the last 22 years because Wilson High School actually has a section of students who are, have a degree of affluence and they have infrastructure at Wilson to make, the, to make playing baseball a reality. I mean, and that's why I look at the major leagues. It's either kids from the suburbs, and that includes black players, by the way, in the major league level, kids from the suburbs, or people who go through the baseball factories of the Dominican Republic, make up the plurality of players in major league baseball. And so black baseball has been neoliberalized to death. It's been bulldozed by 21st century economic policies. And Jackie Robinson West was able to cobble together a team, and they were able to succeed. And now six months after the fact, they are told that they are not the champions, even though they won it on the field. That makes me sick, especially in a city like Chicago, where the mayor, Rahm Emanuel, has cut physical education programs. PE programs are 40 kids to a class now in Chicago. A whole bunch of the schools where the kids at Jackie Robinson West live, a whole lot of those schools have actually been shut down. Hell, Rahm Emanuel wanted to shut down the school of the founder of Jackie Robinson West, Marcus Garvey, where he taught. His name is Joe Haley. Rahm Emanuel wanted to shut down his school. So this Jackie Robinson West success for is it's not only about fielding a team that won it all. It's about 
making it past bullets that were flying in the street. It's about making it past the bulldozers that have taken out their schools. And it was about making it past a whole series of obstacles that your typical suburban team that's in the Little League World Series does not even begin to have to deal with. It is ridiculous that their title has been stripped away, a title that they won on the field of play. And I think it's an absolute, it's an abomination. Like one of the kids said yesterday, he said, look, we're still the champions. We know we're still the champions. And you know what? You are the champions. You're the champions in the hearts of millions of people. And you can't let Little League Incorporated separate you from your dignity. It just, it, the whole thing bothers me so much because the, the, the ways in which the links between baseball and the black community have been severed over the last 30 years have been so severe that to have Jackie Robinson West succeed in this 21st century climate is just remarkable. And I'm deeply troubled by the actions of Little League Incorporated to step in and make such a drastic move as to actually strip them of their championship. Coach, as someone who does youth sports, I would love your thoughts on the matter. A lot of good points there, Dave, but I disagree. They should be stripped of the title. Just because you pointed out about what Robin Manor did in schools and the cutbacks and and um, the, the, um, the, the, the the diamonds in the city are real estate and all so on and so on. That's fine. And I understandable. And I see it. I'm from the southeast in uh, D.C., one of the roughest part of sections of this of this city. But still, you have adult leadership administrators cheating to get their players on. And you have to t- you have to accept the penalty for that. Uh, that is independent. What you're saying there, and I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, I'm going to ask you in a question. So now because these kids have to dodge bullets on the way to the streets, and there's a lot of violence going on, and the programs are being cut by the mayor, so it's okay for the administrators and adult leadership to cheat? I think it should be seen as okay in urban areas. And I'm not saying black. I'm saying very specifically yep, gotcha. urban, very, being very specific about this. Good in point. Urban areas. Because, you know, and that's another thing, too, is that, you and I, Coach, because we're a little older than Mark here, we we come from a time where the words urban and black were interchangeable, yes, and sir. people can't do that anymore. You can't mm-hmm. say urban and expect to mean black because our urban areas are becoming gentrified, which mm-hmm. means a lot of traditional black working class families being pushed out. Mm-hmm. So I'm being very specific about this. Urban areas should have large regional dispensations to make up for the fact that little league programs in most cities effectively do not exist that's what i'm saying and i'm saying that like all of these rules are open to interpretation the the thing about the bullets and dodging the bullets and the poverty that a lot of these students come from and the fact that Rahm Emanuel has been such a bastard as mayor of chicago in terms of what he's done to youth sports (laughs) that to me just adds i'm being very frank with you right now because your question's a terrific one that to me is just a layer of pathos on top of the story. But it's not the core of the argument. That is just the pathos. Like it's it would be like me saying, like, I think it's absolutely disgusting that they waited until Black History Month six months later to take the title away from these kids. But that's mm-hmm. not the reason why mm-hmm. I think it's wrong. Right. Or and I'm similarly not saying, gee, if only they'd waited till March. What I'm saying is that I think that urban baseball programs should have a wide, wide swath of area where the, and should not be subject to the same kinds of territorial boundaries that your suburban teams are subject to because it creates a fundamental imbalance 
that you need to address. Not unlike when saying something like, well, you know, this school that has no funds and 50 people in a class should be judged on the same metric as this school that has 14 kids per class. And I know there's a lot of that. That's frankly at the heart of this administration's uh, standardized testing regime. I think that's unfair, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you have to take into account where people are coming from and where they're spending the 16 hours of their day that they're not in school. You're enabling, though, Dave. You're, you're enabling. You're saying because <laughs> you're enabling this to, to go on. Uh, and, and that's just wrong. These administrators did the wrong thing. I understand it. And, and, and matter of fact, I'm, you know, I am about the, the racializing this. I don't even see this as as black. Yes, race is always involved and money's always involved, but not here. This is about competitive sports and adult doing the wrong thing. Period. I don't want to. You know, I see Jesse up here uh, uh, in the stands uh, under microphones. I don't understand that. This is not a black white issue. Uh, there are some um, tough circumstances that they have endure, but you fight to get those things right. You just don't ignore them and cheat and break them off. I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah, I'll read a quote from my friend uh, Kianga Taylor. This is what she said. She wrote this up on Facebook. She said, mm-hmm. they'll tell you that it's not about race the same way they say nothing is about race in this country. But one can imagine that the intense scrutiny on JRW took place because some people just could not deal with an all-black Little League team dominating white players. It's not about rules, quote-unquote. It's about how the rules are applied and attended to. The denial that race factors into this is just more evidence of how it often feels like we live in different countries with separate realities. For most African Americans, race is always a factor, and it's no different here. Smearing these boys is disgusting and makes me sick. Now, I'm pointing just pointing that out as a way to say... Man, it is hard to imagine another team being subject to this. But, hey, we got to go to break. We can continue the discussion after the break if you like. But we'll be back right after this. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach and mean Mark. I do want to talk about the passings of Dean Smith and Jerry yes, Tarkanian because yes, it's something really fascinating yes. about it. But, Coach, do you want to have a last word about yeah. Jackie Robinson West? Yeah, yeah. Well, that comment you just made about uh, the, the comment. Uh, look, if you're black, you understand that people are going to come after you for the success you have. That is naive thinking to think. See, that's, that statement comes from people that are saying this is a post-racial society, which is ignorant, and that uh, black being black is no longer a factor. Let me tell you something. We are raised, I was raised, and a lot of folks in the black community are raised to understanding if you want to compete and be equal to white, you have to be twice as good. So now when you become twice as good and you succeed, don't you, don't you factor in that those that in the white community that are against you are going to come at you twice as strong? So be clean. Have your house in order. They did not have their house in order. So I dismissed the black thing uh, uh, on, on that venue. Now, here's the other thing. If there's a problem, and you're right, Chicago could not compete if it was just in the south side of Chicago. Not enough players are playing, facilities, so forth that you, that you uh, uh, commented on. But do you go ahead and uh, want the boundaries extended by going the right way, by legislating, by having meetings? Or do you just ignore that and say, hey, I'm going to ignore the boundaries. I'm going to stretch it to get me some ringers in here. I'll be honest and, and, with and, and Let me yeah. finish, because you also brought up Wilson High School. In this city... Four or five years ago, there was like a string 
and, and, and let, me, let me tell the audience, Washington, D.C. is 85% black uh, in the public school system back in about four or five years ago. Every year, Dave Zirin, in football and basketball, just before the playoffs would start, there would be uh, instances where schools would say, hey, you had a legal player, you had a legal player, you had a, 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 somebody that had the grades right, and the playoffs would be halted, teams would be kicked out, going to the Turkey Bowl, which is a city championship, mm-hmm. black on black. So I don't want to hear this. This is done all the time in youth sports, and it's sure. done by adult leadership. What you are doing now and saying, well, because these kids are so disadvantaged, let's give them a pass, that is pandering. That's that not is welfare. No. First that's of all, I, that's what I hear you saying. Well, first You're of saying all, because they're disadvantaged, that they should be a, they, this, they should be allowed to, to to bypass the rules. Well, first no, of all, I don't want that charity. I don't want that welfare from you. First of all, um, I'm not giving any welfare. I wish I had the power to actually have a real social safety net in this country. Uh, second of all, the question is not about whether or not we give them a break because all oh, these poor players they have bullets going by their head. The question, very concretely is about urbanism in the 21st century. And what what I think, Coach, where you sound very naive, Mm -hmm. is saying that they should have just done it the right way. I mean, this this is Little League Incorporated. I mean, do you think about going there and saying, okay, we want the boundaries extended so urban teams can have more of a chance? I mean, the Little League Incorporated is built around this highly, highly lucrative suburban model. And so if I'm a coach and I'm on the south side and my choice is between, okay, can I assemble the best possible team and try to compete? Or my choice is I'm going to undergo a 20-year battle with people who aren't going to hear me that's going to end up being unsuccessful about them having a more expansive view of what an urban team should look like. And, oh, by the way, by the time I get done, there might not be any of us left inside the city boundaries anyway. Who knows what I would choose? And I'm certainly so I I am not going to judge what I think some rules are made to be broken. And I'm not going to judge people who feel like that they have to do what they have to do to put a team on the field under disaster. And I'm certainly I mean, my God, coach, the thing that's disturbing to me about your argument is that it's very similar to what I've heard a lot of the. ESPN folks say, and a lot of these ESPN folks, it's like they bear responsibility for this oh, too. Yeah, I the agree way with that. Oh, the way oh. they have professionalized oh, youth sports and the way they've covered the Little League World Series, absolutely, like they're the '98 Yankees, and then they tut tut at the fact that people skirt the rules when they have created this kind of a system in the first place. Yep, Dave, Dave I want to, I got to, I, I got to piggyback on it before we go to Dean and, and Tark. Um, if here's 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 a solution. If anybody watched the two-week coverage on two networks, ESPN and ESPN2, you are part of the problem. If you uh, send your child uh, under the age of 10 to a national tournament to compete in AAU basketball, P- uh, Pop Warner football, a beauty pageant like Joan Benet Ramsey, you are part of the problem. If you... Um, uh, all of these types of things, you are part of the problem because that be, you become the marketplace. If you endorse Mo, uh, uh, Monet Davis being on Sports Illustrated at yeah. 12 years old, if you sign off on uh, uh, sports rankings of fourth, fifth, and sixth graders in yeah. basketball and football, you are part of the problem. If you think it's cute that college coaches are offering uh, 
uh, scholarships to eighth graders, you are part of the problem because then you become the marketplace that these adults come after for their money and their, and their, and their TV stations. So that's part of the problem right there. You supporting youth sports and all this, oh, I feel so sorry for the kids. Well, let me tell you, it's just filtered down. Now we've gone from pro to college to high school to youth sports. Exactly. And that's part of it. And that's the big part of the problem. Getting into the semantics of what's happening in Chicago, that aside. But that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. We endorse this. And everybody's on the network. Oh, the kids. Can't the kids just play? No, the kids cannot play without adult leadership. They are not capable of organizing this at 10 and 11 years old. We, you need the adults, but you need the adults to be right. So the kids' innocence is lost. We, you, you can call it a little league if you want, but their innocence is lost. Mm-hmm. Because it's, because now it's big money and it's, there's agendas and there's financial rewards and all this for the for the adults and the kids are just pawns like anything else, be it NCAA or what have you. No, I, I don't disagree with any of that, and it's actually a very good segue to talk about Dean Smith and Jerry Tarkanian because the NCAA system is really, I think, the model for a lot of what we're talking about, which is a system that is fundamentally corrupt and all we keep doing is going after the I mean and we can you know lecture and hector young people for taking payouts under the under the table and whatnot and talk about the lack of adult leadership at individual schools but it's very difficult to do that when the system when you take a step back from it is so deeply deeply twisted and the thing about Dean Smith and Jerry Tarkanian Dean Smith often portrayed as the angel of amateur athletics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jerry Tarkanian often um, showed as the devil of amateur athletics. But the thing that they both had in common is that they both really did see the welfare of their players before any other consideration. Yes, sir. And, yes, yes sir. very different situation for yes, both of them. Sir. Dean Smith had... The pick of players. He could get kids who were academically on point, get them, he had great board scores, get them into school. But then he cared for his black players in particular. If they had to face racism in Chapel Hill, he'd be front and center, loud and proud, making sure that that was not part of their reality. He would take them to Angola prison. He would take them to death row. He wanted them to understand the world systemically. Tark, it was a different kind of operation. Tark would sign players from junior college. Tark would sign kids who couldn't get the board scores. Second chance, guys. Tark, Transfers. third chance, fourth yep. chance. Yep. J.R. Ryder. Uh, Chris Harron. Daniels. Chris Heron. Yeah. You know, you know the players I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yep. Go ahead, I'm sorry. And he did. No, no apologies necessary. Cause, cause, and I think that's part of what uh, made him so special mm-hmm. uh, and why both men. You know what they have in common? One's supposed to be the angel. The other's supposed to be the devil. They both provoked profound mourning amongst the players when they passed away. Dave, I got to add this because that was my commentary to say. Dean, you know, both these guys, they were low key. They were not up in front guys like some of the coaches about, hey, look at me making intros before the game. And Dean was very, he didn't want the Dean Dome to be named after him. Mm -hmm. He was always in the background. Give it to the players. And let me tell you something. I have a, a Duke guy that's a very good friend of mine, played with Duke in the 80s. And, you know, this, this thing about family is thrown around so much in athletics at the college level. It's not It's so many of the schools. The players want out, don't want to see the coach. The coach is glad they're gone. Mm-hmm. At North Carolina, the family was true. Some places you are just an alumnus. At North Carolina, you are a family. That was real. And Tarks had the same love for his players. They came back in mass. They revere him. They really loved because he was a back scene guy. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, give it to my players. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, Mark, did you want to throw anything out about either of those folks? <clears throat> no, I think I think you covered it real well. I mean, I think about Tark that I think is worth remembering, and I, and I wrote a whole column about Dean. I didn't write a column about Tark, um, partly because other events this week um, overtook it, namely what we've been talking about, Jackie Robinson West. But I, when I think about Tark, a difference between him and Dean, to his great credit, is that Tark had his eye on the NCAA yeah, bef- as an enemy. Yes, before I mean, it was before, do so. Before <laughs> it was known. Yes. And frankly, In 72. I, I think, let me tell you something, I think the problems with the NCAA go back as long as there's been an NCAA, but you haven't seen the generalized outrage before about 10 years ago when cable TV money started to make people say, wait a minute. This is a little too much, you know, because the quantity became quality for too many people. I remember I was on a radio show talking about the NCAA with a sports jock from the Bay Area, and he said to me, I, I, I'll, this was just profound to me, he said, I have to be honest with you, if you were making these arguments 10 years ago, I would have told you you were full of crap, laughed at you, and thrown you off my show, but I can't do that now, and the reason why I can't is because of how big the salaries for the coaches are. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, that's for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. That was the tipping point. Yep. But yep. for Jerry Tarkanian, he got even before the salaries were big that there was a structural problem, yep. Yep. and in a lot of ways, he was prophetic yep. about the problems that would come out of that, the corruption that would come out of it. Did he embrace some of that corruption as part of doing business? Yeah, he did. And did they come after him? Yeah, they did for talking. You know, Dave. Last point. Got to go to break. He had one of his greatest statements was he said, and he was showing the inconsistencies of the NCAA and the the punishment. One of his greatest statements was, "I know what you're going to (laughs) say. The NCAA is so mad at Kentucky." That they gave Cleveland State three more years of probation. You know what Ooh. I'm saying? And that was a great, great Love statement. Love that line. <laughs> and, and, and that's the one that really does set it all. You know what? The thing about Dean Smith, as we go to break, is to remember as well, is that he was less somebody who would be f- like even loud about his politics, but he was somebody who actually tried to politically change the people yes, on his team. Yes, sir. And I think there's so many grandstanders in this day and age that it's worth a moment to reflect on somebody who was like, you know what, I want to change the people I can see right in front of my face. And that's powerful. Mm, mm, mm. This is Edge of Sports. we got to go to break. We'll be back with Parker wow. Malloy. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. When we are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin, how are you doing, coach? Mama. And me, Mark, how are you doing, me, Mark? Doing well. Our next guest is a freelance writer whose work has appeared in outlets like the New York Times, Rolling Stone, and The Guardian. So happy to have her on the program. Her name, Parker Malloy. Parker, how are you doing? Hey, I am doing quite all right. Excellent, excellent. Parker, um, I want to talk to you first and foremost about 1976 Olympic legend Bruce Jenner. He's, of course gone from being an Olympic legend to being part of the kind of national punchline that makes up the Kardashians, to in recent weeks being at the heart of stories about is he or is he not transitioning from male to female. And I wanted to have you on because you've written and tweeted very um, beautifully about this. And I want to perhaps if you could explain what we actually know and what, also if you could, what do you think about some of the reporting that's happened about Jenner so far? Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically for the past several years, there have kind of been these on and off rumors about whether or not um, Bruce Jenner was actually transgender. Um, 
And that's just been something that, for the most part, has stayed kind of pushed to the um, tabloids, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but just recently, it started kind of popping up in more mainstream outlets, um, along with, you know, photos of him with longer hair or with his nails painted or some, something like that. Um, and it just kind of kept increasing the speculation. And then just recently, um, some of his family members, uh, notably Kim Kardashian, uh, came forward and had this sort of cryptic statement like, you know, Bruce will talk about Bruce's journey when Bruce is ready or something mm. like that. And Use of the like, word journey right. is... Yeah, yeah, which I always just personally, when I when I hear someone discuss, you know, a transgender, you know, a transgender person going through a journey, I kind of laugh. Just It just sounds kind of hokey to me. Feel a, little bit like, um, feel a little bit like Frodo? Like... Yeah, more or less. Or, or rather, like, when, when you went through the transformation, it's like, what? Are you kidding me, you know? <laughs> when you transitioned, it's like, from what? <laughs> human to human. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so that, that sort of stuff kind of kept popping up, and then there are rumors about a TV show that might be following the uh, journey, I guess. But all the while, Bruce Jenner hasn't actually said anything. Um you know, Bruce Jenner's mom confirmed to the AP that he is transgender, but at the, but she hasn't actually done that. So, I mean, as much as I would love to just trust his 88-year-old mother <laughs> in this situation, it's still up to him to, you know, to tell people, hey, you know, I am trans or I'm not trans, and, you know, I'd like to go by some other name or I'd like you to use different pronouns or something like that because right now we're just going off of what other people are telling us and the only person who can answer these questions is Bruce Jenner so I kind of feel like the media's coverage on this has been um, uh, it, it just seems like everyone's just kind of jumping the gun like these could all be great stories of you know the quote unquote world's greatest athlete, mm-hmm. you know, coming out as transgender and, you know, maybe doing a show or something like that. But why can't we just wait until that statement is actually made? Instead, we see this reporting that has to include all of these, you know, terms like, well, allegedly and reportedly and you know, <laughs> just the speculation that kind of casts a shadow over the whole thing. You know, is it possible that Bruce Jenner is transgender? Absolutely. Is it likely? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's, I, I don't know. And But, you know... You, you had a line in your... Wait, kind of waited. You had a line in your story uh, about, gender, about Jenner that I thought was really good. I'd like to, to read it because it's um, it speaks to some of these issues you're talking about. You said, quote, the line between commenting respectfully on cultural news, of which Jenner is a part, and participating in the gossip is a thin one. I mean, when you have a story like this that involves the Kardashians, which is you know synonymous with trashy gossip, how do you possibly um, navigate a story like this? Because when transgender issues are discussed, in, as you wrote, in a slipshod fashion, it can also have a very, very dangerous effect on people who are transitioning, on people who are uh, thinking about this, on people who are alone in their apartment in Iowa, thinking this stuff through. But then you also have the specter of the Kardashians and you have the specter of a 21st century media cycle, which isn't big on waiting 
for people to right. actually speak. So, so how how does one, or even more specifically, more pointedly, how do you navigate this? Sure. Um, well, you know, part of the reason I wrote that piece for that article for Slate was more or less to kind of point out this exact issue. It's the sense. It's the fact that you know, when talking about the Kardashians or you know referencing something that they did, you know, some new sort of attention-grabbing action or something, it brings with it a lot of ridicule, you know. And that's fine because you're you're judging them on their actions and, you know, that's, that's one thing. But what if the ridicule was, um, you know, based solely on um, their uh, ethnic background or you know, Kim Kardashian's a woman and women are awful or something like that, you know, that would be like, whoa, you know, this is no longer just like fun, like make fun of the people on TV for being on TV. This is taking something that they can't control and using that as a kind of a tool to ridicule. And then with all this gossip that kind of popped up about Bruce Jenner, that's exactly what people have been doing. They've been going, oh, this is a scandal, you know, in touch weekly, Name this one of the like top ten celebrity scandals of 2014, which, alongside um, items like uh, Don- Donald Sterling going on his racist <laughs> rant and Bill Cosby's rape allegations, so Stephen like, Collins okay. being a child molester. So yeah, yeah, yikes. yeah, exactly. So it's like it's really weird when you then take, hey, this person might be transgender as a scandal, or mm. frame it that way. Um, so I think that, that that's kind of the, the issue. It's like, you know, Bruce Jenner does something ridiculous. Um, you know, uh, let's say, you know, opened a business that was, uh, I don't even know. Bruce Jenner's done a lot of things that you can laugh about in the past 40 years or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he was a guest star on the show Chips. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if <laughs> you know, people who have seen the movie Eric. Don't Stop the Music know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Oh, exactly. So that's the thing. I mean, he's, there are things you can laugh about, you know, that involve Bruce Jenner, but, you know, speculating on his gender isn't one of them. So I think that the way I've been navigating this is to not work under any assumptions, to not, um, not assume that uh, these types of reports are accurate until you actually hear it or until there's a formal statement released, you know. I mean from Jenner or the Kardashians um, collectively uh, saying such. Because until then, all all you can do, even if you're trying to, you know, show support, it comes off as being disrespectful because you're not really, you know, you're saying that your right to self-identify matters less than our need to put out this new story now instead of two weeks from now or something like that. Mm, we're here talking with uh, journalist Parker Malloy. Uh, you wrote another article uh, for Vice, and I'll put it out on our Twitter feed so people can read it. I thought it was terrific. It read like a, a book outline to me. It was called Heroes, Martyrs, and Myths, The Battle for the Rights of Transgender Athletes. And one of the points that you make is you say that trans athletes actually go back decades. This is not a 21st century thing whatsoever. C- can you speak a little bit about the history of trans athletes? Sure. Sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you look back, you know, 80, 90 years even, there are 
for trans athletes or um, there were some people who it suspected that they were intersex in that um, they're, they might not have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes. They might have some sort of mix there um, participating in the Olympics or, you know, other sports. And there's always been this controversy, you know, people saying, well, in the Olympics back in the 30s, did, you know, did Germany have men doing the women's shot put or something like that? But it's never, it's not as simple as that. It's, um, you know, it, it was really an issue of, hey, these people might have been intersex or they might have just been women who happen to be slightly more masculine or stronger. I mean, that's the whole point of athletic competition is that you're not looking for the average person. It's the, you know, mm-hmm. like in basketball, you know, you want the, t- the person who's unbelievably tall, you know, in track. You want the person who's unbelievably fast. You know, you look for the outliers. You don't go compare you know, a star athlete to the average person because, of course, they're going to look like, um, you know, they, they're not even the same league. So as time, as time's gone on, um, people have just kind of pushed back and, you know, shown kind of a lot of fear when it comes to trans athletes. And, you know, in the 70s, there was Renee Richards, who was a, uh, a tennis player, who she had to fight a big public fight to be able to compete in the U.S. Open. And she competed, and she, you know, she was average, and that was it, you know. And even her being average is a very important point because one of the stereotypes and assumptions is that because Renee Richards was once a man, she would have a whole Mm -hmm. set of biological advantages and merely overpower her opponents. And that's often used as a way to keep transgender women from playing women's sports. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. And and that's kind of, um, and that's why I think that one of the least enviable positions to be in right right now, just kind of in the the sporting world or in the world of, you know, transgender people trying to make it in the sporting world is being a transgender woman who wants to compete in professional sports. Because mm-hmm. if you're not good enough, people will say, why are you here? You're just making a joke of, you know, the, the team, the sport, the what, what have you. But if you're too good, then people go, oh, well, it's because you have an unnatural advantage or something like that. You You will never see a you know, a transgender woman version of LeBron James or Michael Jordan, right? You know, any of these premier athletes, because as soon as they'd start to, you know, dominate in their sport, people would accuse them of cheating, even though pretty much every, um, the consensus, the medical consensus is that when you're on hormone replacement therapy, which transgender women typically are, after about a year, you're you know, muscle mass and your bone mass kind of reduces down to that of a cisgender non-trans woman. So your advantage is all kind of non-existent. And that's why, that's why you haven't seen any trans athletes just outright dominate any sport at all. all. Right. As you said, people act like it's like the movie Ladybugs. The Rodney Dangerfield oh, yeah. movie is going to reproduce <laughs> well, itself. Well, exactly. You know, and one of the and one of the things that bothers me the most about this is the fact that you have people with absolutely no qualifications speaking out against allowing trans athletes to compete. You know, one of the most famous was Joe Rogan, who 
mm-hmm. I wrote, who I included in that piece. And uh, after that Vice piece went out, he tweeted uh, his distaste for it to his followers, which he had more than a million Twitter followers, and they all just kind of swarmed at me, and that was fun. Always <laughs> um, a lovely... I Actually, I, th- I thought yeah. you, you handled yourself great. It was, it was like watching the movie 300 in Twitter form. Um, yeah. Hey, Parker, we're up against uh, the break. I hope you come back on the show in the future. Talk about other stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a terrific. Okay. Really appreciate All it. Right. That Thanks. was Parker Lamoy, uh, Parker Malloy, folks. Um, you know, we got to go to break. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Get coaches' last thoughts about how dumb I am uh, <laughs> to wrap up the show. <laughs> Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin will return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Coach, I want to ask you a question very directly as we wrap up the show about Jackie Robinson West. Yes. If somebody at Little League Inc. said, you know what? They took players from slightly out of their boundary, but they also didn't have enough players to field a team. They won on the field of play. They didn't cork their bats. The, the, the geographic limitations that we put on them are totally unrealistic compared to the suburban teams. This is what we're going to do. We, we also need accountability by the grown-ups. We are going to ban their coaches for life from Little League, but they get to keep their title. If you had heard that that was the news this morning... Would you have said that that was a welfare handout to these kids, or would you have said, "Okay, I can live with that"? The uh, those those those, guys, those coaches should be banned for life. But still, now you got to. I didn't ask you yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, but not, no, I'm, answer I'm, the question. Would that be something that no, for you? That that would not be uh, agreeable to me because what about what about the Nevada team that they lost to that did things right? And and and, and, and watch this backhanded. You can say now you can go ahead and put the that spotlight. We think did things right. We've it, already we've already learned that one of the teams that apparently um, I'm not going to use the word snitch that apparently <laughs> um, told. On Jackie Robinson West, they were just pinched as well. Is that right? That is yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it reminds right. me a little bit of all the people who are bashing Lance Armstrong for using right. those PEDs. It's like every cyclist is doing this. It, yeah. I mean, that little bit of a different story, but yeah. it, yeah. it just—it's the same thing, though, man. It's like, my God, it's like it's the land of the blind, and we keep looking for the one-eyed man to be king. But watch this, watch this day, watch how this works. If you okay that and say, okay, well, give them a break. They have some tough times. Give them some pity. Give them some charity. Now, now you're going to look at Monique Davis. Monique Davis. Well, wait a minute. How does she do? What, what's this? Let's look at Philadelphia with a microscope and see where they where she came from. That's already, you know what I'm saying? Believe so, me, that's so, already happening. I, I, yeah, I'm sure it is. No you know? doubt in my mind that's already I'm happening. Just, that's, uh, and I guess this is a referee coming out on me, Dave, and I've been in, 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 in youth sports is my wheelhouse. I've just seen it for so long, Dave. And, it's, it's and a, it just I hear hurts you. No, me. I hear it breaks you. my heart. That's but, why I write books on it. But it's a disturbing world where the New England Patriots get to keep their title, but the Jackie Robinson <laughs> West gets their title taken <laughs> no. away, and it's too late for Dan to respond. We are out of here. Peace. <laughs> Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.